Hey all welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunski. On this show, we want to teach you how to take a data-driven approach to your health. So we look at all of the latest technology, all of the researchers, speak to as many of the health experts as we can. First of all, to help you learn how to capture and quantify data on your health. Second, to learn how to interpret that data so you can use it for better health decision making. That's what we focus on on this show. That's also why we've created the Heads Up Health app, which will allow you to link up all of your health information into one place and use our tools to start to use that information for better health decision making. So if you haven't checked out our app yet, head over to headsuphealth.com. And now let's get into the next episode. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hi, all. Welcome back to the show. We are here on Data Driven Health Radio. And I am sitting across from Kelly Tan Peterson, and we are going to learn a lot about what the work you're doing, Kelly, to help educate and spread the good word around keto and how to apply the ketogenic diet to the community you're from and the work you're doing to spread the word out there through your books, through your social media communities. And so we're really grateful to have you here today. I know you just got back from a really exciting vacation, so I definitely want to hear about that. It sounds like you were visiting some of the countries that I fell in love with when I traveled in that area. So I definitely want to hear about your travels. But before we dive into the work you're doing and how you came about to get on this path, just give a brief introduction for the Heads Up Health community. Hi, I'm Kelly Peterson. Thank you for having me here, Dave. Yes, it's my, our pleasure. It's really my pleasure uh, yeah. chatting with you today. Yeah, I'm uh, originally from Singapore, uh, now American, and I learned this uh, low-carb, high-fat way of eating and ketogenic from my husband. He's uh, Dr. Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, long story short, we met in Singapore, fell in love, and I realized that, what? This man is not eating rice and starch and bread american don't eat potatoes mm-hmm. and so I well, he wasn't that, eating that way when you met him he was eating local yeah, yeah yeah he was eating that way for about four years before i met him uh-huh. and you know my whole life i've been eating rice and as an asian how yep. could I eat rice so rice and uh, noodles and bread and all kind of sweet stuff like what asia you know yep. people do and I've been challenged, I've been, uh, uh, for many years, I uh, have a lot of challenge with my weight and my health and everything else, like my blood glucose and, and cholesterol and uh, acidic stomach and stuff. And so I was eating healthy for a long time, but eating the wrong thing, I didn't realize. And then when I saw Dan, well, how, he, how he eat is like, these are the things that I, I was told not to eat. Why are you eating all this? What kind of mm-hmm. doctor you are? And yeah. why, are you, why are you telling me all these things that I never heard before? And why is my doctor never tell me before? So I was in shock for a moment. And then I, he, he briefly explained to me what is it all about. It's all about blood glucose and insulin. And yes. One question I asked myself is, 
if I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, am I going to expect a different result? No, I've been doing it for more than, more than 20 years as a young adult till I'm um, in, in my 40s and I didn't improve anything in my life uh, health-wise. So maybe I should try. And, yes. you know, I love this man, so I trust him. So mm -hmm. I follow exactly what he do. And he was very supportive and not pushy and, you know, letting me find my ways. And the good thing is that whatever I cook, if it's not keto compliant, he doesn't eat. Yep. <laughs> so I don't cook rice and noodles anymore. And I eat healthy from then on. And I realized that by just changing the way I eat, all the symptoms go away. I lose weight easily. I mean, I have actually maintained my, my weight for the last nine years. I've been on keto for the last nine years and I have no issue about controlling my weight. I can eat almost a lot of things and everything I want except starch and sugar. So you touched on a couple important points before we dive into the specific work you did or that you're doing now. So the first is just growing up in Singapore. And I had the great pleasure of spending a couple weeks there. One of my best friends lives out there, so I'm, I'm familiar with it. But you're obviously born and raised in a culture where this way of eating is very foreign. And a lot of the foods that were your staples, I guess, ultimately now you've, you've realized that those were contributing to the problem. So culturally, what, what were the foods that are the staples there that, that you realize now were problematic? And maybe you can just touch on what is the mindset over there? Is there any awareness about this? Is it starting to grow? Are you kind of an outlier there? So a few questions there. Take them in whatever order you want. But I'm really just interested in the cultural aspects of Singapore today, how the foods are changing or not changing there today? Is there an awareness building out there around this way of eating? Any, anything you can share on that? Yeah, fortunately, um, the awareness is growing slowly. Um, mm -hmm. I remember five years ago when I returned back to Singapore for a visit and all my friends, all my friends think that I'm just an alien. I mean, for yeah. the last um, seven, eight years, I've been sharing, you know, because I'm so far away from families and friends. And social media is one of the ways that I communicate with them. So every day I post the food I eat, the food I cook, the food I eat. And they, nobody knows exactly what I was doing then. And five years ago when I visited Singapore, um, my friends was like, what are you doing in America? You don't eat rice. And that was no, not much of awareness. But clearly they looked at you. I mean, you're obviously doing something right. So I know, I they know. didn't say, okay, well, gee, okay, maybe she's onto something here. Exactly. My friends and family was like, but you slimmed down so much and you look so young. And it's like, why are you so yes. Hello. I was starving in, in America, not eating, but I look healthy and I look glowing and I look younger. And they were curious. And so that, was, cool. that was a good thing. Yeah. So if I, I, I may actually be going there again on business in the next couple of weeks, but if I were to travel, let's just start with Singapore and we can touch on some other countries as well. But it's, it's a relatively international city. So you have access to different styles of cuisine there. 
but would you say that it would be hard for someone who's living there to maintain uh, a low-carb keto lifestyle? There is actually a lot of food that you can choose to eat low-carb and mm -hmm. a keto, keto, live a keto lifestyle, even if you were to eat out, say, three times a week. And a lot of Singapore uh, friends, they are eating out a lot because it's a busy lifestyle. Everybody's busy with work and stuff. And there is a culture where most of the time they eat out and they may cook a few meals at home. But cooking is um, seems to be um, uh, kind of like a hot task for a lot of people because I realized that because they're not used to it, they're so used to eating out. But either if they're eating out or they're cooking at home, it's actually relatively easy to live a low-carb lifestyle just by all you need to know is just what kind of food is compliant, what kind of food is not compliant, mm -hmm. and pick the food that you can eat. And especially eating out is, I'm sure, it's a little more challenges for beginners because the food that is cooked in the restaurant or in the food court, which um, if you already know, the food court, which we call a hawker center. Yep. There's a lot of little cart store. Yeah, I've been there. It was cool. Yeah, it, it, it is actually really cool the, the kind of uh, culture that I, I grew up with unfortunate part is um, I would say 70% of the choice of food are all high carb like noodles and rice and it's always with sugar and flour but there is still at least 25 to 30% of food that we can actually choose like roast duck uh, crispy pork belly and oh, yeah. roast chicken Yeah, they are so delicious and they are relatively low carb of course, when we eat out, there's a lot of hidden cut, we call it, because yep. sometimes, um, say, some kind of roast duck, they may have, like, a little bit of, like, glaze when they roast it to sure. make the skin crispy. Those are, I would call it, those are hidden cut, but if your majority goes for, like, choosing protein like this and uh, choose green vegetables or something, it's a relative low-carb meal for that day. So it's not really hard to, to eat out and there's a lot of like you say a lot of a cultural different um you can also have like french food italian food yep. that or um any western food that comes with a big piece of steak or chops it's not really hard it's just knowing and you know raise the radar go in the food court i always raise my radar really high start the elimination process mm -hmm. and cancel out those that is not that i would not go to the store and takes up those that i think i'll buy this i'll buy this i bought this so it's not hard and to 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 eat anywhere in the world i should say once you figure it out i mean i can go into any restaurant nowadays even if it's just a burger and fry place or whatever once you're once you're comfortable with the lifestyle. There's always something on the menu that's delicious, even if you have to modify a bit. So yeah. it does take some skill. But um, what are you seeing out there? I know you just came back from some extensive travels. I know that you were in Vietnam and other parts of Southeast Asia. Shanghai, Taiwan, Singapore, yes. and Vietnam. Yeah, these are the five countries I, I was uh, traveling the last six weeks. Yeah, I was jealous when we were exchanging emails. You were on some beautiful island on the coast of Vietnam. So that's amazing. But yeah. what are you seeing out there in terms of the levels of insulin resistance, obesity, compared to what we deal with here in the West? Is it worse? Is it the same? How do you think it compares? 
if it's not the same, it's the worst, I would say. When I was growing up in Singapore and you know the Asia region, there is no, I would say there's no obesity. It's hardly. Probably you see one person or two in a long time. Yeah, everyone's always been historically thin and, and healthy. Yeah. And so yeah. how long ago was that when you were growing up there roughly, like within? It's so much different now. I visit now, you know, every year. And f since the last five to six years, every year I see like people are getting bigger. Yeah. Bigger and bigger. And even children are getting bigger. Even the newspaper has says that the children uniform is bigger size now. So they have to use more fabric. And that was on the newspaper. And yeah, obesity rate is high. Lots of metabolic syndrome, you know, obvious metabolic syndrome when I yes. see people around. It's sad. It's really sad. And it hurts me because... But what's changed? I mean, is the, is the food that, that, that people are eating there, are the, are the core staples changing? Is it becoming more starch, more sugar? I mean, inherently yeah. rice has been a staple the whole time. So yes. what, what else is changing that, that, that's driving this? A lot of food is uh, getting sweeter. sweeter. Um, same kind of food that I ate growing up, it tastes way sweeter right now. Gotcha. And I'm curious, every time I go back, if, you know, I would, I would taste different kind of food, just like, yeah, so sweet. Yep. If my friend were to buy something that is, you know, carby, I'm just curious. I take a little taste, I'm like, yeah, it's so sweet because I, I want to know what's the changes. And it's, it's all different. And what, what other kind of food is like, of course, pizza and... Um, Are you seeing more Western foods there now? Yeah, burger chain and yeah. all that. You know, when I was growing up, there isn't any burger chain or any pizza. Understood. During that time. And uh, a lot of uh, fashion called uh, bakery store has come out, bubble yep. tea. Yeah. All that has been, you know, growing and also is so convenient and, and people just eat and eat and eat every every day. Well, there's a lot of underlying neuropsychology around that as well. When you start to eat those foods, just the way they activate the reward centers in our brain, exactly. all the stuff you described. So people are not necessarily even consciously aware that this programming is happening to them. But as more sugar goes into the food, uh, Rob Wolf talked about this in his book. He talked about this just hyper palatability that is being engineered into the foods these days, like you talked about. And so people are just naturally drawn to it. So you're starting to see more of these hyper palatable westernized foods, pizza and burger chains, Yeah. Uh, more sugar into the foods that maybe previously were not as harmful because the sugar content wasn't quite as high. And that, you could use the word addiction. That That's one way to describe it. I know that there are people, there was a present, fantastic presentation at Low Carb West Palm by Nicole Avina. And she was talking about how sugar now can be classified according to the um, DSM, the psychiatric diagnosis, as on the same level of addiction as tobacco, for example. So I think we're not only having more access to this, but we are subconsciously almost getting addicted to these foods. And would you say that that accurately represents what you're seeing? 
Yes, yes, certainly. Because when I cut off the starch and sugar, and I start eating the good uh, fat and protein and vegetable, and over the years, I realized that my palate changed too. Because yeah. my palate, I can, I can detect more of the flavor in the food that I cook. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think that I need to add any um, sugar in order to make the food tasty. And then now, if I were to taste the kind of food that is being cooked um, outside the way they cook, I detect the sweetness right away, even yeah. though my friends couldn't detect it. Yeah. So there is this uh, change that you have mentioned. And um, my personal experience is when I, when I travel, and obviously, I know that some of the food that I, no matter how careful I picked, there are some hidden carbs in the food that is cooked. And if I were to eat that kind of food and continuously set about for three days, I can feel in my body, because I'm so in tune right now, I can feel in my body that I'm actually craving for a snack. I have never craved for a snack because in between meals, I'm saturated. And uh, even after dinner, when I was uh, traveling, I feel like, oh, maybe I feel like eating a dessert. Oh, no. Why am I feeling that way? It is really that kind of uh, neural change that I have that because I have been exposed to the hidden card for the last, say, maybe three days. Yep. And I start to tell, my brain starts to tell myself that. Oh, I, I have the exact same thing. Yeah. One, yeah. Once you get a little taste of it again, you, find, you suddenly find yourself instantly craving those things. Exactly. That you worked so hard to wean yourself off. So that, I don't think that ever goes away. Uh, no, that, that doesn't go away. I mean, for my, for my lifestyle now, at you know, nine years, coming to 10 years, and I, I'm very in tune with my body and how, how, um, how my behavior is because I'm, I'm aware Mm -hmm. So I do know that this come back to me if I were to eat, you know, more than I should eat in terms of the hidden carb, not I, even unintentionally. Then I realized that, oh, the meals that I was eating the last two days must have a lot of hidden carb because I'm feeling like I'm craving yeah. more. I know exactly what you mean. Yep. Yeah. So let's, let's segue into some of the work that you're doing. It can be very hard, as you describe, for someone who has been raised a certain way has a huge family around them who doesn't eat like they eat and is trying to make some changes. But you've taken on a personal mission now to start providing many types of resources for preparing different types of fantastic Asian cuisines and adapting them for keto, which I think is amazing. And I also understand from Lily that you're producing your cookbooks in English and in Mandarin. So even if you are overseas and you want to start applying this lifestyle, I presume people are finding you over there and, and realizing, wow, okay, I can make these changes. And, and here's my, my dishes that I know and love. And Kelly has helped me modify them so that they are metabolically friendly. So tell us how this, this work of yours started and some of, the, some of the books you've published, and just the types of work you're doing now to, to evangelize the message. Yes. Uh, oh, this few years has been a lot, of, a lot of work, but I know that this is something that I have to do because, um, like I said earlier, I realized that all my friends and family, especially Asian friends and American friends, they are eating 
so much, so much of carb and starch and not being aware, mm -hmm. especially when I'm growing up in, in a, I mean, I'm from Singapore and I understand exactly how Singapore, Malaysia and the Asian region, what kind of food and cuisine is, 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 is probably causing them, you know, this, this, this result. So Keto Ease is my first book. Um, Keto Ease. I, I, yeah. Keto I Ease. love it. It's the first book that I, I have three books in the series. In fact, I have all so much content that I intend to write a book. And then in the end, so much content, I couldn't have everything in the book. So I split them into three books. So the first book was launched in uh, early this spring this year. About Tell May. us about that one. Let's start there. Yes, Keto East. Keto East is uh, Asian cuisine and mainly Singapore, Malaysian, Asian cuisine. That, oh, my God. Um, that sounds so good. Eating. Yeah. yeah, including the noodle and rice, uh -huh. like Yong Chao fried rice and Cha Kui Tiao and, and all that. And the flavor is something that is like my background, my childhood. But I've stopped eating it for like at least five years. I totally successfully detached from it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I realized that a lot of people can't do that. I don't blame mm -hmm. them because this is the culture. I tested cooking it at home. I replaced it with the uh, shirataki noodle and shirataki rice or cauliflower chopped rice. And I cooked the way traditionally it's been cooked and retained the flavor. And so I can enjoy it right now. It's just amazing because it's, I realized that it's all about the flavor. So same flavor, eat. you're just replacing the carbohydrate source with something that is more metabolically friendly for blood sugar and you're able to get the same net effect, something that's just way healthier. So can you give us one specific example, Kelly, of a dish? So for people who are listening, you can give them uh, something very specific on, on exactly how you made the substitution. Yes, uh, one of the example is, I think everybody familiar with is the Yong Chao fried rice. Yep. Um, a lot of Chinese restaurants even in America has this dish. And the fried rice is like so fragrant and it's used to fry with um, like pork lard and, yep. and then all, all that fat. Yes. And then uh, it has those little bits of like uh, little strings and little uh, chashu pork and then scrambled eggs that is cut into pieces and then stuff right in there. And this is the, the, the fragrant rice that uh, Asian love mm -hmm. and lots of my American friend love. But then it's because it's so high starch because it's mainly rice. So, um, but the flavor is about the spices that I, I put in, the high fat content, the salt, the, the same, you can use the same lards for, front, for cooking. Exactly. Flavors. Lard and that fat is, the, is actually the one that makes the whole dish um, so aromatic. Yeah. Yeah, so I use all the same ingredients mm -hmm. and the same way of cooking. Just replace the rice. And I use, um, I tried shiitake rice and I tried um, the cauliflower that chopped into, you know, rice form. And I fried them the same way. They're both tasty. Oh man, that sounds amazing. Yeah, they're both tasty. And there's a technique to it for two different uh, coat replacement. Shirataki rice, of course, you know, we want it to be, fried rice is supposed to be um, uh, non-saucy, no gravy, and it's supposed to be a uh, high fat content anyway. Yep. And uh, high heat cooking. And so 
when you master this, uh, it's not hard to actually create um, beautiful, aromatic, flavorful, uh, low-carb keto Yong Chao fried rice. And so that's in the cookbook, the cookbook's in English and also in Mandarin. Chinese, yes, in Mandarin, and it's cool. bilingual. Yeah. The, yeah, the purpose is I, you know, I, I want my uh, Asian friends who understand only Chinese, especially the parents, the older generation, that's who only amazing. read Chinese, be able to understand and re relate to my stories and why I so well, your story is in the book as well? You're, you, you have a personal story in there as well? Yeah, yeah, I That's tell incredible. my personal story because this is how I grew up and um, I, my, my goal is to have my friends and Asian friends to relate to my story because um, not because I'm American now that I can do it. I grew up in Singapore and I know what you're going through. I know your challenges. Yep. And if I can try and be and do it and be successful, and so can you. I I use my story to in, in, inspire them. So when you're experimenting with these recipes and di dialing it in to be keto friendly, are you doing any testing with relating to like blood sugar, for example? Do you test your blood sugar at this point, or have you pretty much? I still do. It's been a few years yeah. for me, but. Yeah. Are you testing to make sure that it stays low after you uh, engineer these recipes? Yeah, yeah. I test um, basically all the recipes, like, like protein and all that. I know that. But if I were to use like tamari because to replace soy sauce, because most, most of the soy sauce still have some kind of sugar. Yep. So I use tamari or I use um, amino uh, acid to replace and still retain the flavor. I do. I do taste, uh, test my blood glucose to ensure that uh, it doesn't spike me. Yep. Yeah. And uh, on your keto lifestyle, are you regularly testing for ketosis or are you more intuitive at this point? We're obviously big on the testing because this is data-driven health radio and Heads Up Health. I, I took a very data-driven approach when I started this whole thing and I still do. So, uh, are you testing blood ketones? Occasionally, I do. Uh, in the past, I do test it very, very often. Just uh, my blood glucose and ketones, like once a week. Mm -hmm. When I started, I tested like you know twice a week, but uh, I reduced the amount of testing. And then now I test it like once a week. I do mm -hmm. agree that because then I know and in tune of if what is my ketones level right now, how do I feel right now? Because yeah. I am aware that how my body react to if I eat a little more um, carbohydrate in some form, I would feel that um, a little bit of uh, water retention in my ankle area. Yep. And once I feel that, I test my ketones. And obviously, you know, the ketone level is uh, slightly lower than ideal. Mm -hmm. But when I, um, like now when I come back home and I go back to my eating routine and I feel like, hey, my legs and my, my ankle is kind of like really uh, trim and feeling good because the water retention has, has reduced. I yep. test my ketone and obviously the number of the, the ketones has went up and it really relates to each other as far as I understand as what my, how my body reacts. Yeah, I do. Amazing. I do test and blood glucose as well. 
So you've seen a correlation between your level of water retention. ketones and water retention. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Cool. So Keto East was the first project. And what about the other two? The other two, the second book is Keto Bake. Mm -hmm. Keto Bake, I focus on all the baking, like bread and desserts. That came up because last year my mom was uh, having a cancer. And I revisited Singapore and I realized again, and that was the time it hit me so hard because that was uh, before Chinese New Year. And I realized that there are so much cookies and dessert and bread and pastry all around every corner on the street. Everybody is eating and munching like every, any time in the, in the day. And I'm like, oh my God, this yeah. is how has created all this, this phenomenal obesity. In it's Asia. terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. It breaks my heart. And yeah. this is actually how my mom lived when she was still alive. And because, you know, she's with her peers and her friends and family. Mm -hmm. And if um, she don't want to be different. I understood. That's got to be extremely difficult on this path. Is You touched on something really, really important there. It's just not wanting to stand out and not wanting to be different, especially in cultures where it's harder to do that. Yeah. People get together to eat mm -hmm. in the culture. And so that wakes me up. Like, I have so much good recipe. I have been using it at home. Um, it's just my home-cooked recipe. Mm -hmm. And I should just put them in a book and, and use, you know, hopefully I can share my story again and um, share the recipe and then influence my friends and family and the Asian friends to come on, look at it. Actually, keto lifestyle is not deprivation because you can actually make a lot of um, simple dessert to replace what that you're eating right now. And my thought then was that if I can share all these recipes and teach them how to make this dessert, even for high carb people that are still eating rice, I possibly could help them to cut half, if not half of the carbohydrate they're eating every day by just replacing this dessert to show them that yeah. there's, no there's no deprivation. If yeah. you replace all the dessert with keto dessert, you're cutting half of your carbohydrate a day and then maybe they'll be interested to look at, oh, what is keto all about? Yeah. And maybe eventually they will also replace the rice and replace mm -hmm. the noodle. Yeah. Wow, that's really wonderful. Just giving people ways to make changes, but it's just easier for them, first of all, culturally. And you can still have family and friends over and still eat the same things that you're accustomed to. It's not like you have to throw all that out the window. You're just making some simple substitutions. Don't even tell your guests. Just do it and see if anybody yes, notices. Yes. Honestly, don't you? Oh, don't by the way. Just to yeah. make a cake and say, hey, come over for coffee. Yeah. And stuff them the cake. And honestly, I do that's, this. That's self keto. Um, yeah, exactly. And don't tell them it's keto. Yeah. Honestly, I cook, I make this cake and I make this dessert and I serve it in my party at home. And my friends who are not eating low carb didn't know about that. They were like, yes. oh, it's so tasty. So by the way, is this, uh, is this keto? Because we know you're eating keto. Yeah. I say, yes, of course, because I don't know how to bake high carb. Yeah. Oh. 
Cool. I love it. So Keto East, Keto Bake, and what's the third one? The third one I'm still working on it is Keto West. Uh-huh. Keto West, we uh, focus on uh, all the Western cuisine, French uh, cuisine, and European cuisine. Because this, I have an American family, and mm-hmm. I have an Asian in me. So I have a balance of Asian food and American food that I serve at home. So um, I would, I love to share these American dishes that I cook at home, keto fly, and with a touch of Asian in me, in the, in, you know, in the food. Uh, my friends looking forward to how I cook my Asian food. Okay, I just want to say on the record, your husband is the luckiest man in the world because he's getting the best of all of these international cuisines in keto-friendly formats. He tells everybody he is like a king. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so that's now starting to look at other, other cuisines as well and doing that same type of modification for people. Obviously, yeah. you're getting feedback saying, okay, this is awesome, Kelly. Thank you for doing this for some of the traditional Asian dishes, but how can we start to make similar substitutions in some of the other staples? Yeah. A really, really yeah. amazing concept. I really love it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, even my Asian, uh, Asian friends uh, are looking forward to the Western cuisine because in Asia, yeah, it's quite metropolitan in Singapore. They, they love different kind of cuisine and mm-hmm. it's good to have a different choices. So there's a different variety, you know, eating in keto. It's, keto is not just keto food boring. So that's what they're learning. So how are people responding to this? You're obviously having people discover you in Asia and you may be the first contact they have with this concept of eating in this way and so i presume that people are reaching out to you out of the blue and what kind of response are you getting from people who they probably they're reading your books in in mandarin they don't they don't they don't speak english they're not familiar with this keto craze you know that's devouring us here in the west but but you must get a lot of people who are reaching out to you and saying first of all thank you and just wanting more. So what, what has the reception been? Or maybe on the other side, people are like, hey, what are you doing? You're messing with us over here. So what kind of responses are you seeing from all of this? Are you, you're creating all kinds of trouble over there in the best possible way. Well, Sometimes you gotta drop a grenade over there and, 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 and wait, wait for the follow. I haven't got into trouble yet. Uh, cool. The good thing is that because I don't have a medical license. Yeah, they can't come after you. They can come after me, honestly. Yeah. And I'm, a, I'm only a housewife, come on. So I'm cooking the way I, I feed my family. Yeah. Um, and how I eat well and live well and regain my health. So tell us some stories. Obviously, people have connected with you, and, and this, this has changed their life, I imagine. Just oh, yeah. It's, you've it's made amazing. an awareness for like, them. It's amazing. Every other day, I would, I would get a private message or an email and say, thank you so much for what you do, and you have helped me to rec- recover this this way of living, I have elevated my, you know, this pain or this, this disease, or I have stopped my uh, cholesterol medication, I stopped my diabetes medication, my A1C comes down to this much. So and- let me, sorry, Kelly, I want to interrupt you there, because when these people are going to the doctor in their country, the doctor is not telling them to cut these foods to treat their condition. It could be an ache, it could be a pain, it could be any number of things from a deranged metabolism and much like here the standard of care is prescription-based medications 
So are people now discovering food as medicine for things that they couldn't get help from before? Yes, people are discovering that, I would say in a slow, pretty slow pace, but okay. um, over the last five years is a lot more awareness right now. And of course, there's also a lot more um, curiosity and which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And there are some resistance I do see, um, mm -hmm. uh, especially the last uh, two weeks. I don't know if I actually will, uh, is the cause of it. But the last uh, two weeks um, in the newspaper in Singapore, suddenly there is this page saying, ketogenic diet, is it safe? Or low carb, is it good? And then of course, you know, the the interview was from doctors from the major hospital and yep. uh, it is not very supportive of that and a lot of warning about that and I was thinking, oh no. Well, this is good. Getting I mean, more awareness and uh, getting their attention. Yep. It's positive though that it's becoming part of the awareness. I mean, even that is a step in the right direction because yeah. you're starting to push some people's buttons over there which is a, which is a good thing so i didn't want to think that it was because of all my events and my book and all that that causes that it's just because the it happens to be you know coincidentally the same time but uh it's always going to be threatened yeah, the establishment is always going to be threatened so i think that's a good thing that this is even becoming part of the dialogue out there that is even in itself a huge step in the right direction even you know you see the same stuff here where there's people that criticize and are, and are threatened by it and stuff like that. But it's good. It's raising the awareness. I mean, it's amazing to me. I'll be on a business trip in, in Podung, nowhere, and I'll be sitting at In-N-Out Burger having, like, my lettuce wrap cheeseburger, and I'll hear people at the table behind me talking about keto. So it's yeah. starting, starting to permeate, and awareness is getting out there. At the end of the day, it's just helping people to – learn how to manage their blood sugar better. That's really all this, this mission is. And so yes. I love the yes. way you're doing it and delivering it to people in ways that they know and love. You don't have to change anything except the carbs and everything else tastes the same. Exactly. So, yeah, and I, I, I just love the way that you're approaching all of this. I know you've also got some communities online where people can come and yeah. get some support if they're just starting down this path. So how would people find those? Yeah, social media is amazing and it actually, um, I leveraged that to communicate with the Asian uh, countries. Uh, I have two, two Facebook groups. One is the, it's called Keto East, uh, Keto East West. Yep. Uh, we, we speak in, uh, we communicate in English and I have a group that is called Keto East and we communicate all in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And also I, I, I try to do, you know, sometimes I try to do other things and think of, out of how I can help them. So I have a group that is Keto Market where mm -hmm. I help, you know, I help that I give them a platform mm -hmm. that they can actually, the good, the person who know how to bake or how to, how to prepare keto food would able to prepare the meals and sell to the person that is, have a busy lifestyle yep. in the same town, same city. So they are leveraged on each other's energy and time and knowledge that um, they will buy the keto food for the families if they don't know how to cook or they don't have time to cook. So Keto Market is a platform that I provide for them to do the exchange and communication. Cool. And, and what about a website, Kelly, where people can find your work? My website is cookinginspiredbylove.com. 
Beautiful. Cool. Well, this it's is amazing. It's about eating well and to become a sustainable lifestyle. That's awesome. I, I think what you're doing is brilliant and I applaud you thank for the work you. you're doing. So thank you for coming on the show and educating the Heads Up Health listeners about your work. I'm sure there are many people whose mouth is watering and who are hungry after this show. I know I certainly am. So hopefully they can go out and start learning some of your recipes. I know Lily, who does our social media, she was kind enough to connect us. She's working through all of your books and she speaks very highly of your work. So thank it was you. really, really wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thanks, Kelly. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 